where I know that as I was growing up, the the, pediatri- the pediatrician that I worked with, that was a diabetic specialist, he wanted to work with us as a team. And so if you have a different dynamic where someone is like telling you like you're, you're bad because you have a high A1C or you're, we're taught, I think we're all socialized to compare ourselves to others. Um, and I think that that affects us deeply. Like I think it, even if we're not talking about diabetes, the fact that we are all socialized across societies that, that we could be better, we could be doing more instead of being taught that we are doing the best we can, that we're actively learning. Um, so I think that that's how, how we shift to really reconnect with ourselves. Hi everyone, I'm Daniel Newman and welcome to episode 37 of the Talking Type 1 podcast. And wherever you are in the world, I want to say thank you for joining me for another episode. So I've been living with type 1 diabetes for over 25 years and on the podcast I speak to people about their lives living with type 1. The podcast is for and by the community and is a safe space for those of us living with the condition. You can find me on Instagram, my handle is at t1d underscore dan and the podcast handle is at talking type 1 podcast. The one is a digit in both handles. And in today's episode, I speak to Mary, who has been living with type 1 diabetes for over 30 years. And Mary is a licensed therapist based in America. And in our conversation, we talk about inner child healing and fulfilling your purpose when living with type 1 diabetes. It's a really insightful and deep conversation that Mary and I have and we touch on so many different topics. And just to say, this is a trigger warning that some topics that we discuss may be triggering to some. So please do bear this in mind when listening to the episode. When talking about glucose levels, we use milligrams per deciliter. So if you're used to using millimoles, then divide the number by 18 to convert. Just a friendly reminder that I'm not a medical professional and the information shared on the podcast is not medical information or advice. So I won't keep you any longer. Here's a conversation with Mary. Enjoy. I am delighted to welcome Mary to the Talking Type 1 podcast. Mary is a licensed marriage and family therapist, but for the sake of conversation, we will be using the term therapist going forward. Um, Mary's been living with type 1 for 34 years. And in our conversation today, we'll be talking about inner child healing and how to heal your inner child and having a, a deep dive in, in, into that subject area. So this is a trigger warning that in terms of words that may be coming up in our conversation, these words include trauma, uh, physical and sexual abuse, or emotional neglect. So please do take this as a, a trigger warning that if you are going to be triggered by any of these words or what we're talking about, um, yeah, it's just a warning here. So, um, Mary, how are you? And welcome to the Talking Type 1 podcast. Hi, I'm doing pretty well. A little tired, but good. And I'm so happy to be here. Mary, just to start us off, as I mentioned in the introduction, you've been living with Type 1 for 34 years. Can you talk to us about your diagnosis story? Yeah, yeah. So I was diagnosed um, at the age of three. Um, and um, currently, I'm the only diabetic a person in my family on both my maternal and paternal side. From our history, I know my great grandpa had type one, um, but my parents always knew something was wrong because I had an older brother um, who was a, a 
almost two years older than me. And they noticed that, you know, like I wasn't looking okay, that I was tired, that I complained of uh, a pain a lot, like, and discomfort, um, even as a little one where I would just, my, my parents would say that I would like touch my tummy um, area a lot. And I would always, there was all this thirst and tiredness. Um, and I think the, the pediatrician I had then maybe wasn't so well-versed in um, type one diabetes. So what, from what I can remember from the story was my brother had a, a temperature um, and we went to urgent care because it was just, it just was, wouldn't go down. So my parents got really nervous and worried. Um, and then while we were in urgent care, um, the, the doctor that saw my brother was like, you know what, I think there's something wrong with your daughter. We're going to run some tests on her. Um, and he actually had a background in diabetes. And I went from there to the Children's Hospital of Orange, which is called CHOC. Um, it's a really well-known hospital here in Orange County in California. And I was there in the ICU for a significant amount of time. I don't remember how, how many weeks. And I was diagnosed uh, again. I, but I think I might have already said it, but on January 28th. So my parents got all this education. And I remember just feeling like something, there's something wrong, but I don't have the language. Like I saw people's worried faces and family coming to visit and being weighed every morning and like um, getting insulin shots. Um, and back then it was just like the vial with the, <laughs> um, with the needle and learning to prick my fingers. So um, there was like relief and also I, I could see the worry. So like cause yeah. they knew they knew something was wrong and test and, and blood work was being run and it wasn't I wasn't being tested for what I needed to be tested for. So, yeah. And yeah. what did the doctor notice in the um, in when you so see you're there for your brother? But what did, did you ever no find out what the doctor noticed in you that made him um suggest that um yeah that maybe something might be up and that that's to investigate a, further that's such a good question um but i'm not i'm not honestly quite sure i know that i mentioned some of the signs um with my with my mom and i know that he had a diabetes background and he connected me with the right pediatrician in the hospital and like handed me off really well to someone else that had experience with um, juvenile di diabetes. So I imagine it must have been some of those symptoms that my parents noticed as well. Because um, even like with my breath, my mom would say like, it just, it was like sweet. And then like your your urine had like a strong, like because of like the ketones. So like it was, she's yeah. like, there was all these like little signs um, that probably he noticed as well as my parents, but they didn't have, they didn't, they themselves didn't have the understanding of diabetes. Um, especially in the early 80s so so you were diagnosed at three can you remember at what point you realized that you had uh, type 1 diabetes I think it was when I so I immediately knew like okay I'm getting insulin shots my brother is not and then there was always this caution with me um, more so than with my brother and then when my my younger sister came along 
I, there was always kind of like, oh, well, you need this first or make sure this is taken care of, or did you drink your juice or did you have your snack? So like, I noticed that there was a lot more, I don't want to say hovering, but there certainly more, more protection or more eyes um, on me because of it. Um, and I think also because I didn't grow up around other kiddos with medical conditions, like it, it, it was pretty clear that there was something different with, with me, especially when I started elementary school where I didn't know anyone else that d- during recess. So where we would have our playtime, I, I had to go to check my blood sugar. Um, and during lunchtime, I had to go to the nurse's um, office to check my blood sugar, give myself an insulin shot. Um, so those are like the pieces that made it clearly obvious to even just to share like a, my, my, an el- elementary school story um, where because I wasn't eating um, my lunch, I was actually, I had to eat lunch with the teacher um, because I was getting a lot of lows. And I know that if a kiddo, your typical kiddo without any diagnosis wasn't eating their lunch, no one would care. <laughs> so even yeah. like that, I was like, I'm not hungry. Um so, yeah, so things like that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's definitely the case. And so what was um, what was growing up with type 1 like for, for you? And were there any particular challenges that you had to face and overcome? And, and this can be from, yeah, you're from ages 8 to yeah. 18, 20. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> yeah. And any any anywhere along that kind of time frame, yeah. What was that? What was that period like? So in hindsight, I think this conversation that I had with my parents, um, who were, I believe, like we're trying to be well intentioned, but they were the they told me like, do you do you want? I think which really like kind of cemented it in. They're like, do you want to live a long time? Then you need to take really good care of your blood sugars. They're like, do you? Do you want to pass away young and you can't have a whole lot of lows? Do you want to make sure that um, you can see, that you can see the world? Then don't have a lot of high blood sugars because this is what could happen to your organs. Um, so I think they try to simplify it. But to say that to um, a young kiddo is, is pretty intense, I think. Um, but it really did really open my eyes to like, whoa, this, this is, this is, I have this big thing right, that I need to take care of. And I honestly believe that a person, even outside of diabetes that has a medical condition as a child, you are growing up quite a bit faster than the average person because of it. So I know that 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 piece was like in the back of my mind all the time, like, how am I feeling? They were really mindful of making sure that I was connecting with my body. What does your low feel like? What does your high feel like? And, and, and that's something that I worry now with folks um, that maybe have all this technology that aren't connecting with their body. To this day, I'm way faster at no, before my CGM beeps, I already know my sugar is low. Like I know how my body is feeling when I'm dropping, um, how tired I'm getting. Um, so that was something they're like, you need to make sure you notice that. So I think that that was something that was always in the back of my mind, even when I was trying really hard to enjoy life. Yeah, I think one thing that was difficult also was low blood sugars when I wasn't hungry um, because there wasn't no pump to stop or to delay or to decrease your basal rate. So um, I think I I wasn't a fan of food 
for uh, for decades because I was like, oh, I have, I have to have peanut butter and crackers or apple juice. And I know that's that's not even like major because there's people that um, have immense struggles where they didn't have access. And and my thing was like, I'm, I'm, I'm being forced mm. to have things when, so I guess my relationship with food was like, Ugh, like it wasn't something that I enjoyed because it, I had to have it at certain hours. So in terms of just going a bit deeper in terms of what yeah. your, the advice that your parents gave you, how did that mm-hmm. manifest itself in your diabetes I, management? And by that, I mean, yeah, yeah. what was, yeah, yeah, how did that manifest itself? Because on the one hand, mm-hmm. you've been given this advice, so perhaps it, it might, it might have, I'm not sure if it had, but it might have led to micromanagement or, yeah. yeah. So yeah. for me, I wasn't like, I wasn't like rebellious. That was just not part of, not in, not in that way. Um, to me, I was just like, uh, yeah, I want to live or, or like, yeah, I, I, I want to have a good life for as best as I can. So I made sure that I, maybe to some extent, extra cautious. Um, even now as an adult, I, I have like, pretty steady A1Cs. Um, it's rare where I have a real high high. Um, I know that when I was younger, I um, I sat in my lows more um, or I had more lows, maybe with overcorrecting or worried that I would get a high. So I had, I think when I was quite a bit younger, it like secondary school, I was, I was worried of getting highs because I'm like, I, I I don't want any, I don't want my organs to fail. I don't want other conditions to come. And that's just partly ignorance too, because having highs does not equate um, additional complications. And I think when I was like little or younger, definitely even as a preteen, um, as like, no, that everything has to be, you know, which is, I mean, that's a whole second job. <laughs> just kind of be a kid and a student. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so definitely the micromanaging piece I can I can relate to because you're just I want to make sure that everything's okay and that I'm safe. And I think there was definitely a a piece of extra caution and or me not go doing certain things because I didn't want to worry my parents. Like because it were like they were very much of the kind like no sleepovers, but your friends can come and sleep over or like text me when you get there, text me when the movie's over, um, yeah. text me when you're getting in the car. So there was a lot of that that I felt like I needed to do to ease their worry. So, yeah. Even as an adult in college, I think I continue like, hey, yeah, wrapping up my 10 p.m. class and getting my car. Like, um, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I um, I did pick up that you said secondary school and not mm-hmm. high school. Did, so did, was it called secondary school? Um, so high school. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But did you say secondary because of the whole yes. English <laughs> school system? Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought so. So I, I yeah, appreciate yes. that. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. picked that up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, um, I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, and I'm sure the listeners who are based in uh, England or uh, or the UK, I should say, um, or uh, will understand that. But yeah, um, and so. As I mentioned at the start, you're a um, you're mm. a therapist, and so what led you um, kind of just moving the yeah. conversation? What what prompted you to go into this line of line of work? Yeah, so I think I for me I innately knew that 
my purpose was in a helping field. And I think my dad was such a, um, like just such a strong um, figure in my life. Um, he, he was so like, he was like the kindest person, like had so much light and always talked to us growing up about um, how important it was to treat others the way that you wanted to be treated. He, he taught, taught us a lot about like scarcity and communities and he just really walked in action of love like because it's one thing to to tell your kids do do this or do as I say not as I do um and his actions were always so loving um and I think that really inspired me because he was he was a school teacher and he he talked to us about his students and he worked in in an area that was so so marginalized and he talked about the students and how he's like i'm i'm going to make sure that i give them a leg up as much as i can and that, i think that really stuck with me the way that he loved um and helping was something that i always felt called to and i think when i was in in high school or secondary school um <laughs> You can, you can use high school. Yeah, okay. It's, it's so, yeah, yeah. yeah. so I really love doing um, volunteer work and that felt really good to me and helping people in any way that I could. And when I was in college, I think I switched my, my major so many times and I thought I wanted to be a speech language pathologist and I graduated with my bachelor's degree in that. But then I realized my last semester when I was um, doing uh, translation, uh, interpreting work um, from English to Spanish um, with folks that would come in for assessments um, with their, in the speech and hearing clinic, um, I realized like it's not me wanting to teach people how to, how to speak or enunciate or help them after uh, a stroke with their communication. I wanna help people connect and say what, what they need and how they feel so then I, I decided to go into a clinical psychology program. Um, but I think because of my lived experience of, of living in marginalized communities, of seeing the struggles of people, especially uh, folks that I work with that um, um, are immigrants and seeing how hard they worked. And I even thought about like, just like even the way that my dad loved, um, my, my, my mom and dad, I think did they best the best that they could in parenting us. And um, he was just such a loving person. And I thought like, I'm so glad that I had this loving person. What about people that don't have a loving person or a person that believes in them? And, and if I could be that for someone for a short period of time, um, I'm happy to do that. Because I think my overall goal as a therapist, even if I'm not your therapist, I want you to know that you have purpose and that you are lovable. And you deserve to be here. So I I have a, a, a question um, to ask in terms about, um, so we're both living with type one. Um, I would presume the majority of people listening, uh, living with, uh, either living with diabetes, either they have it themselves, or they're living with diabetes themselves, or they're a parent or a caregiver uh, to a child or person living with diabetes. And so we, we all have, an inner voice um, and in a monologue. And I think when it comes to diabetes, we all have a diabetes voice. How, um, and maybe you might draw from your own experience here. Uh, how do you recognize your diabetes voice? And if it's a voice that is speaking in a negative way, 
how can we go about changing how we talk to ourselves and move it to a more positive yeah a more positive paradigm yeah yeah so i i'm i know a lot of a lot of us hear about like positive affirmations and just being more positive um i always think it's important to ask the question like where did this thought come from was it yours did it did it come from you um 10 out of 10 times it doesn't honestly um so what we were told about who we are as a person with diabetes can come from certainly our our caregivers um from our from our doctors um and if we're hearing negative things um if we're hearing negative things or scary things about being a person with diabetes or a child with diabetes that's going to affect our perception of what diabetes is um even giving my example earlier about how my parents are like you want to live like you want to ha- have a good life like you're going to have to take care of yourself and it was definitely like a team effort growing up but i i wasn't made to feel bad for for having a a, a high blood sugar where i know that as i was growing up the the pediatric the pediatrician that i worked with that was a diabetic specialist um he wanted to work with us as a team. And so if you have a different dynamic where someone is like telling you like you're you're bad because you have a high A1C or you're we're taught I think we're all socialized to compare ourselves to others. Um and I think that that affects us deeply. Like I think it, even if we're not talking about diabetes the fact that we are all socialized across societies that that we could be better, we could be doing more instead of being taught that we are doing the best we can that we're actively learning um so i think that that's how how we shift to really reconnect with ourselves like why do i think this is horrible or why do i find myself comparing myself to this other person that seems to be thriving with diabetes to really break that down do i think i'm horrible am i am i i'm just human right i'm i'm doing the best that i can so even if we slow that down although that i i'm thinking that i'm awful um i am learning to care for myself although diabetic specific um my a1c's aren't ideal um if that's your focus like i'm learning to understand my body to understand my blood sugars to understand how carbs affect me um so it's it's like this duality that we we all um really would benefit from learning and and holding that in the same way that i can think that I'm not enough, I'm growing to love myself or in the same way that I can experience sadness, I can also experience joy. Um so it really is that duality because I think a lot of a lot of folks think like, well, if I'm just not sad again or if I'm never negative again, then I know that I'm healed and that's not we have this enormous heart that has all these feelings and those aren't going to go away. We're just learning how to take care of those. The same thing with our thoughts, like slowing those thoughts down. Like why am I thinking this? This isn't true. I'm doing the best that I can. I'm learning. Instead of just saying like I'm awesome or, you know, and if that helps, the awesome do it, do it. Um but like really digging in and why why am I feeling this way? Is this my thought? Is this my innate belief? It never it never is. So yeah yeah and uh, yeah that 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 makes sense and it's um something that you quite you touch on as well is that particularly with those negative emotions it's it's fine to allow those emotions to um come up to the surface and acknowledge them because 
like you quite rightly yeah. say, they don't just disappear. They are still there and it's about how you manage. And what I've really picked up is about how you manage, how you talk to yourself and the, talk to yourself. And the yeah, and, and what actions are emotions. you taking to care for yourself? Yeah, so it, it not not necessary, not even necessarily shifting um, the thought. Like when I'm feeling really uh, poorly about myself, how can I nurture that peace? Or like, what is the thing that I need to hear right now? Or how do I care for that in this moment? And and the thing about emotions too, we are socialized that there's these good emotions and these bad emotions. And emotions aren't good or bad. It really is how we respond to them. Because I think sometimes people think that sadness is is negative or anger is negative, um, but it's what we do with that. So if I'm harming someone because I'm angry, obviously that's not good, and it doesn't that doesn't even need to be said. It's not okay. But in my anger, if I do physical activity or I write or I release it in a way that is soothing, then that's perfect because we are going to have anger and I don't like to think of emotions as like negative. What what can be negative or or not safe is what we do with the emotions that we have. So are we harming ourselves? Are we harming others? That's definitely not something that um, we should be doing. We should be learning how our anger needs to be cared for, how our sadness needs to be cared for um, in the way that we are present in our, in our, in our joy and, and, and our calm. How can we be present for, for that anger and care for it um, and for that sadness? And how do we care for that? Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, just related to diabetes, and I think you touched on it already, but mm-hmm. I could think of examples mm-hmm. of where you might have that sadness of... Um, as you quite rightly say, your HbA1c not being where you want it to be, your timing range be, not being where you want it mm-hmm. to be. And if I draw from my own mm-hmm. personal experience, I know looking back when I was in my teenage years, it was very much a, this is a bad number. I'm going to disengage now from my diabetes um. because the, I felt that judgment there. And it's acknowledging that feeling of yeah. sadness, that feeling the anger, but the action that I took wasn't wasn't at the time I thought it was the best action because it, that, to me it was then, mm-hmm. but obviously looking back, it clearly it clearly wasn't. But it's about, as you quite rightly say, acknowledging that emotion and then how you manage that going going forwards. And I think mm-hmm. with diabetes as well, it can be and please correct me if I'm wrong, it can be quite tricky because you, mm-hmm. so if you say you're using technology and you're swiping your arm mm-hmm. or you're checking your CGM and you're seeing the numbers three, four, five, six times an hour, that could, that can give you, mm-hmm. um, that can feed into your, your emotions and the same as if you're um, pricking your finger as well. And um, we deal with a lot of numbers we deal with a lot of varying emotions, mm-hmm. um, whether it be checking our glucose levels and responding with insulin or responding in another way because of the relentlessness of di- um, diabetes. So does that does that take a lot more work and energy in terms of managing that diabetes voice? I, I think for um, some folks it definitely can I know for me um it 
having, because I came into diabetes technology quite later in life, I know we discussed that a bit earlier, um, where it wasn't maybe till 2017, I got a CGM and then a a pump. Um, And for me, it was a relief, like like just feeling like a little bit more free. Um, And I can also see that if we're constantly checking our sugars, (laughs) that that's going to be that's going to be really overwhelming. Um, I know that when I work with folks with diabetes um, and other conditions are checking or they're really honing into a particular symptom, depending on their diagnosis, that they're, they're not allowing themselves to continue on their day. So even, even learning um, to create this separateness, like, yes, I am a person with diabetes and I, I'm also a person that loves this, a person that does this, um, because we can get very much in our heads. I know I did when I was a lot younger, where I felt like I said earlier, where I had to micromanage and um, maybe it would have been different having access to the privileges that come with this, uh, with technology, um, but it can also certainly be a burden if we feel like we have to check it or look at it um, all the time. So just moving on, as I mentioned at the start, uh, we're going to talk about uh, inner child healing. And mm-hmm. for if somebody's listening and they, don't, um, they haven't heard this term before or come across it, um, can you just explain kind of what inner child healing is and what, what, is, what, is, what is somebody's inner child? Yeah, so inner child healing is... I like to put it simply like nurturing the parts of us that weren't cared for when we were younger. So maybe we've had a particular type of trauma happen. Maybe when we were growing up, we were emotionally dismissed by our parents or um, there was a lot of pressure to be perfect um, or we were taught our value was conditional um, and those things affect us the way that we are Um, loved or not loved by our caregivers. Um, And we receive a lot of messages about who we are and what we should be when we're growing up. Um, So inner child healing is really diving in to those parts of us that need to be nurtured, really. So um, maybe when someone was was growing up, they didn't didn't get to be creative because in, in their house, we couldn't make a mess with paint or coloring books, or someone wanted to be an artist, but in in this house, um, science is the only thing that's valued, or in this family, we're all lawyers, in this family, we're all educators, so your creativity was less than, um, or maybe your voice didn't matter. Um, I think one thing that I I see clearly with most folks, um, um, and even in my own family system, right, like that someone may not tell you your feelings are bad, but the way in which people engage us or not really affects us in the way that we move forward in adulthood. So if you're crying and someone's like, they're there, or like, you're fine, or my life was harder, um, or you're just literally just being ignored, because that, uh, that also happens when someone's having a child is having a strong feeling, and maybe their parents um are in their own pain and don't know how to manage or support their children in there and managing and um, soothing their emotions, then part of the work in inner child healing is learning 
how to nurture and soothe and connect and, and love our younger self through actions that we do in our adulthood. So if maybe someone dismissed you, how are you present for yourself? If maybe no one checked in on your emotions, um, how are you checking in with your emotions? Um, sometimes it maybe the things that you wish you would have heard when you were younger. So you're giving yourself those words, that love that you didn't receive when you were younger. Right. And allowing yourself to be curious, not not only because um, it can sound like, wow, inner child healing sounds painful. Yes, um, there are some some difficult parts to it. And there's also this this beautiful um, curiosity and exploration of these childhood joys um, that you could experience or allow yourself to experience. Like I've worked with folks where they were like, we weren't I like going back to art. Um, I didn't get to do that. So we do art in, in session. Um, or someone always wanted to take a dance class, but parents didn't think that was important. So then they take a dance class as an adult or they learn how to play um, a sport. Um, and, and when they were children, they couldn't get their clothes dirty. So um, even, even things like that, but more deeply it's learning to un undo all those messages and things we were taught about ourselves that are simply not true. So there is a lot of digging deep and nurturing and learning to love. And I think when we are learning to love um, ourselves, it can be very uncomfortable, especially if we didn't get a whole lot of compassion um, or nurturance growing up, it can feel very uncomfortable. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far with Mary. And in the next part, we talk about inner child healing and much, much more. Enjoy. Yeah. And um, so how, how, would, how, would, how would we identify those um, feelings and experiences um, uh, in terms of what's shaped uh, our, our inner mm -hmm. child? Is it easy to... Is it easy to do? Um, is mm -hmm. it is it difficult? Um, so so yeah, that was yeah. How how would we how would we do that? Pardon. It is. I said all of the above, Dan. So there's there's parts that are that are easy. So some folks when they're coming to therapy, they're like, you know, I noticed that they're that in my family we don't talk about emotions. And I know that it's affecting me in my friendships and romantic relationships. So I'm working, when I'm work, uh, working with adults, they're like, I'm very uncomfortable being vulnerable. So they're identifying this, this um, experience that they're having where they're pulling away because that, that protected you. That was your, that was your coping skill to dismiss your feelings when you were growing up to protect yourself. And if you want to have a long-term relationship as an adult with a friend or romantically, it's probably not going to be ideal if you're always shutting someone out, right? So a lot of times folks are like, I'm having relationship issues or I'm noticing um, that I have this overall sadness or um, I'm having a really hard time with caring for myself or loving myself. So that, that's why I'm in therapy. So then we talk a lot about, um, I ask quite a bit about someone's childhood. Um, I ask a lot about how their parents communicated, what they learned about love from their parents, firstly, uh, what they learned about communication, um, what they learned about repairing. 
Um, cause I think some folks think like, Oh, my, 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 my adult son or daughter is doing inner child healing. And now they're going to think I'm the most awful parent, but it, it's not, it's not about bashing parents or caregivers. It's about understanding how things in your life affected, affected who you are today. Um, and, and part of the work is to coming to this, um, understanding in, in grieving that, I maybe I had parents um, that weren't able to care for me um, in the way that I needed, but they did the best they could with what they had, right? So it's not it's not um, making uh, our caregivers be like the enemy or the worst humans ever. It's it's acknowledging that I had this lived experience, and these are things that I want to let go of. Maybe. Uh, beliefs or communication patterns or um, just cycles in our family that we, we want to let go of. And that's part of um, the inner child healing work. And you can take um, the resilience that you learned from your parents um, or the strength that you learned um, from them and maybe not take some of those patterns um, or maybe the way that they communicated. We are learning to um, plant new seeds in the way that we communicate or the way that we soothe. Um, which is also part of part of the work, learning how to connect with ourselves and soothe those parts of us and nurture those parts of us. Um, and I often talk to folks about which sometimes they're like, "You're silly," um, <laughs> but I'm. I always ask. I do like heart check-ins. I'm like, "So how 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 is your heart doing? What does your heart need today?" So even those kinds of things, and people are like, "That sounds mushy." Um, <laughs> but it really is something that we all could benefit from. Like, what does your heart need? Like. Is it nurturance? Is it connection? It, what does your body need? Um, is it movement? Is it rest? Um, what does your mind need? Is it, it, is it in need of learning? Is it need of pausing? Um, do I need calm? So these are just questions that I walk uh, folks through so they can um, connect with themselves a little bit more deeply. Because um, if we have experiences growing up, again, that where we're, we're being dismissed or we're being taught that we are too much or that our feelings are too much, then we'll do that to some extent as we, we grow up thinking that we are too much. So it's really learning to take care of all those parts of ourselves. And that includes joy too, not just like the deep dive of, of hard, difficult um, emotions but also like, how can I experience joy today? How can I experience calm today? What can I try? I have no idea what would make me happy right now. What What can I do for myself today? How can I explore? Is this something that somebody could do on their own in terms of the, the healing or is it something that needs professional support alongside doing the healing? Yeah, I think it depends on the person. Um, uh, the, the piece about having a therapist is that you have this um, objective um, container and emotional supporter that can maybe note things that um, I might not notice in, uh, um, if I was doing this on my own. Um, or they could be offering ways to care for ourselves or maybe noting um, um, certain things about our behavior or um, I think Definitely individual therapy could be helpful. There are also groups that people can participate. There's 
Um, certainly like these questions, um, if it feels right for you and it feels safe for you are, are good things to ask yourself, even on a daily basis. Um, Cause I think we're, we're definitely raised to kind of um, like do the next thing. What, like we're, we're not taught to pause. So learning to pause is something we all can do. Um, but if you notice that there's a lot of um, discomfort um, or, or, or you feel very dysregulated, it would be very helpful to have assistance from um, a mental health provider in that regard, because I think it's always helpful to have a, an objective supporter that can walk you through. So, but definitely asking these questions, if it feels right and safe for you to, to check in with your heart, with your body, um, do I need to slow down? Do I need to move? And it, like even learning to be present, like I think that's a hard thing for, for a lot of us, no matter who we are, what our titles are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, in, uh, I totally agree with everything you've, you've said and into society that we live in, as you quite rightly said, it's about moving on to the next thing. And it's there's not always the, the push or the allowance yeah. for people to take that to to engage in self-care or to just pause and actually think about what's going on and so we're recording this in um june 2021 but i'd say probably the last year with um what was going on with the pandemic was probably a long period of pause for everyone mm -hmm. and every i say everyone but i'm just using that generally and it's almost like everyone we were all in that same position in different yeah. if different degrees but there was certainly things that people couldn't do and it was like an opportunity for pause and for some for an opportunity to pause and for some it might have been the first opportunity and it might have been really uncomfortable because there are so many other distractions being used to take their mind yeah. off kind of what was going on on on, on the inside and um yeah, I, I just fully agree that self self care and taking that opportunity to to pause yeah. and just to look inwards is is really important. You mentioned a bit earlier about uh, you spoke about writing a letter um, when it came to kind of inner child healing and uh, writing a letter, and it's not so much writing a letter to your parents and saying, "Oh, yeah, everything's fine," but writing a letter to them is almost on the steps of 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 your healing um to move that to uh diabetes um my first question would be does yeah. does doesn't the age of your diagnosis impact your inner child development what ages are yourself your is your inner child being developed and then if you're diagnosed with diabetes during those ages yeah, yeah how much of an impact can it can it have can we draw on your experience of the conversations mm -hmm. that your parents were having with you because you were diagnosed at uh, um mm -hmm. three years old so um yeah it would be really good if you could expand on that yeah yeah so it definitely so the the part of your inner child is basically essentially since since birth almost because that's when you get your first nurturance experience experience so i know like when I've worked with kiddos that have had trauma before the age of three or, or like medical trauma where they weren't able to be held or physically nurtured by their parents or caregivers, that's going to affect your, your sense of safety. Um, even when uh, 
like they've done so many studies of like when when children are in the womb and how the stressors or the environment that the mother's in um, deeply deeply affects um, how a child soothes even before even before birth actually um, because they are feeling um, mom's emotions and I know I know for me um, personally like that responsibility or that or, or that understanding of life or death at such a young age is is a lot to hold as a, as a little one. Um, again, my parents didn't have that conversation when I was three, but when I was getting ready to go to elementary school, and it, it is it is a scary conversation. Um, and I think that they were trying to just be as tactful, but also like, please don't die on us, right? Because we want you to live. So there's the, there's that duality that they were trying to hold space for, but it definitely affects when you have a chronic illness, or even if you're a child that has a parent that has an illness, um, or even with kids that I work with where their parents um, are in, in um, armed forces or in the service and there's pauses and moves and transitions, all, all those things are gonna affect us in our, in our ability to, um, to experience, experience safety and connection. Um, because we we do need a lot of nurturance and a lot of a, a lot of love, and when we don't experience that as children, um, it definitely affects our development, even our ability to soothe. So if we're left crying a lot, we're not going to learn how to soothe. And a lot of adults that I work with, we're learning that as adults, like what is soothing to my body, what is soothing to my heart, um, and and with the inner child healing work, like writing a letter even to your younger self like to to acknowledge you were this sweet little young thing that didn't get to choose what family you were born into and there was a lot of harm that may have been caused and how can i take care of you now how how do i show you that your life is worth living and that you are lovable because i think sometimes the the piece about therapy where we think we need to fix but because we're broken. It's more about learning to understand ourselves and love ourselves. That's the way that I like to see it. I don't like to, um, I just don't think it, it it's a good message to be like, you're broken, you need to be fixed because we don't. What we need to do a lot of the time in therapy is unlearn um, and learn how to care. There's so much unlearning, it's not fixing. I don't, it just doesn't sit right with me because we're not fixing your inner child where we're holding it we're taking care of it yeah and also when it comes to just humans as well and particularly the human mind just fixing it it's yeah. i wouldn't say it's not possible because as you quite we're always learning or unlearning or unlearning learning and then relearn etc it's it's not just a okay i'm fixed let's move on to the next one so i uh I, yeah. I think that's right. Would it be helpful, say, so you were diagnosed at three, I was diagnosed at 10. And if, say, you're all embarking on the, your your inner child journey, particularly around your diabetes and your, your diagnosis, could that be helpful to somebody to write a letter to three-year-old Mary, 10-year-old yeah. Dan, to say, I understand what you were going on, but what you're going through and I'm here for you. Is that something that somebody might find helpful? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do I do believe so much in the power of words and, and being able to care for ourselves because it is a powerful thing to acknowledge, like, hey, this was an acknowledge then 
or this wasn't held then, but I'm holding it now and I'm writing this to you or I'm saying this to you because you need to hear this. No matter, we can be like 65 and write ourselves that letter or 80 and write ourselves that letter and we still need it and it will still be heartfelt. Um, I think it's really important. I know that for me, um, especially in high school, um, I, I, I journaled a lot. Um, and that was like such a good source for me um, to express myself um, and even questioning um, uh, my, like my parents or my mom, like, oh, I don't think that this is okay. Like, I don't think that this is okay the way that this is happening um, or the way that I'm being treated. Um, and that was like my way of, of taking care of me which I, th I don't know, maybe in the moment I knew, I was just kind of like, I need this emotional release, so I'm gonna write away. Um, or I'm gonna listen to music and that's gonna be my source of, of comfort. Um, but definitely writing a letter, even um, to, to those that uh, have passed, to be able to say maybe what you weren't able to say, um, especially when someone passes away too, too quickly, like to be able to say what, what's in your heart because um, I know sometimes people will, will hold on to that, like, well, I didn't get to say this, but I also acknowledge um, if you are thinking about them now and talking about them now the way that you do, they must have known that they were loved by you, right? So um, letters are beautiful and yeah. we don't necessarily need to send them, even like when we write them to our parents or someone that has caused us harm, but for you to have that release, um, um, for all of us to have that release, right? To to be able to say what we feel, what we think, even if that person um, isn't gonna hear it. Cause sometimes we, um, when I'm like, when I'm doing that inner child healing work, some folks are like, uh, that I work with, well, I wish my parents would just validate me or understand this um, or apologize. And um, we even fantasize about it. Um, and we deserve to be validated, all of us do, for someone to apologize for, for what they've caused, right? The harm they've caused. Um, but some folks won't do that. So then that's part of the grief work in a letter writing where I'm releasing this. I know I deserve better. And this is my own grief work, um, which is part of inner child healing and part of being human, really, because there's some people that are that are going to suck, not necessarily our caregivers, but we need to let go of, of those things that are no longer serving us. And, and writing is a beautiful way to do that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, mm -hmm. I was going to ask as well. So if um, mm -hmm. there's a parent listening, how and this isn't a parenting podcast, so I'm, I'm not going to say if somebody's parenting is good or bad, but if a parent wants to, um, is quite curious or interested in terms of how they are potentially impacting their child who's living with diabetes, their inner child or their diabetes voice, what steps could could they take or what 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 could they do again yeah. this isn't a parenting podcast it's me just asking um yeah your, yeah your 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 opinion i think it would be helpful uh to just check in on and on on your kiddo really your child um and to acknowledge that it's hard and that you're you're doing your best to to work with your your child as best you can and that their mistakes are going to happen and that's okay and we're going to learn how to fix them together right and that 
just even not just saying, but in action, really, that's the most important part, like in action, showing them um, that you're there and that when their blood sugar is high or their blood sugar is too low, like that it's okay and we're going to take care of each other. Because um, I think that there there is this pressure of seeing this worry. Um, I don't want to worry my parents more, right? I don't want to worry that we're stressing out more. I would really encourage your parents to even um, learn how to care for themselves as parents. Maybe a parent group, maybe um, individual therapy, maybe couples therapy, like those, all those things could be so, such a helpful resource. So we're knowing, we're learning like, hey, this is tough and acknowledging that it's tough. Cause I think kids are like, oh, I have to like be strong and not feel like I'm affected. Um, especially when they see their parents worry, we, we kind of follow what's in our environment. So really just acknowledging like this sucks, doesn't it? Or like you have a low and you're going to have to have a snack and you're not hungry. That probably doesn't feel too good. Right. Just things like that. Yeah. 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 Oh, thank you. And just before we move on to the, we're going to talk about kind mm -hmm. of touch on a bit of self-love and, and stuff. Um, you mentioned earlier, and I think I might've mentioned it before that when a child is mm -hmm. diagnosed with a chronic illness, they're forced to grow up much faster than um than mm -hmm. a child who isn't and it's is a conversation mm -hmm. that i had with a friend um a, a few few years ago she was um she's diagnosed with um leukemia when she was quite young and we were just having a conversation and we both said we're forced to grow up at uh um at, at such a young age we're, we're dealing with mm -hmm. things that are beyond our years how does that then impact on your diabetes voice, your how you talk to yourself when it comes to diabetes or your inner child, because on the one hand, you've almost got quote, quote, quote unquote, mm -hmm. adult responsibilities, or you've got responsibilities mm -hmm. or an understanding beyond your years, but then at the same yeah. time, you're still a child. So there's some sort of friction yeah. that's, that's it, it definitely on. does affect it. I know that, um, like speaking personally, like I felt like I had this responsibility even when my parents were trying to help, right? Um, and that can definitely impact your um, your ability to just kind of be free and, and allow yourself to experience joy and, and play. So that's something that I would really encourage parents to, um, to make a point of, like, let's have fun, um, let, let's do this thing um, that I know you like or you choose what we're doing because we, we don't have the power to take away a diagnosis, right, or to stop checking our blood sugar. But even just like you're noticing maybe your kiddo's having a rough day. So you know what? I'm going to be in charge of, of checking your blood sugar for you, like, or, or giving you your shot today or like give me the, the little touchscreen thingy. I forget what it's called because I use a phone on my, uh, an app on my phone for my, <laughs> for my CGM. Um, but like, I'm going to take this from you today. Um, or just even with those check-ins, I, I think that that part's important, like to, to know, like I have this responsibility and also let's, let's, let's practice having fun. Let's, let's be curious about good things that can also be happening while we have this heavy thing. So again, it goes even back to that duality of like, yeah, I'm going to experience 
these hardships or these extra responsibilities? And how am I creating space for goodness or to, to have good moments um, or pauses for joy? Because um, I think we can all, no matter our age, can get wrapped up in this work that we have to do that we forget about enjoying. Definitely that for sure. Because it will affect us. It's, it's inevitable um, having a diagnosis, whether it's diabetes or not. Um, but how can we hold space for, for freedom, for goodness, um, for enjoyment? So diabetes and it's, it doesn't have to be this or that. It's I have diabetes and or I'm a human being and I have, I have diabetes. I'm an artist. I like to run. Um, yeah. I think sometimes that we can get caught up in that being our identifier. Um, and if it empowers you, if you're like, I like to be diabetic, blah, or yeah. whatever your title, that's, that's awesome. If that's your source of empowerment. Yes. Um, but I, I, I think we're like this vast, like, I'm like losing my word, but we have so many layers, right? Yeah. We have so many, we're more than just one thing. Yeah. 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 I, I, I understood what you're saying. It's, mm -hmm. uh, and I, what I've picked up as well is that, and you've done it a couple of times now, Isabel, you've said that if diabetes is your identifier, then that's okay. So that's acknowledgement of that. But then also, you've also gone on to say that there's also more, it's yeah. diabetes and etc or di not diabetes or this and yeah. i think that's yeah. really oh go on no yeah exactly exactly that because i think even like with our work like i'm not just a therapist a therapist my identifier i'm, I'm also a sister i'm also a nature lover um so there's so many so many facets right and yeah. i i i would that we are more than just one label yeah yeah and i think that links back to some of what we mentioned before about how in society it we live in a society in a world that loves to label people as this is you and if you yeah. try to deviate from that label it's wrong and you can find yourself um and it probably it might probably links back to some of the stuff where we're talking about your 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 voice and what and your beliefs so if that as you said, I think you said 10 times out of 10, it's not what you believe personally, it's what somebody has said to you. And so then if you've been labeled yeah. with something, if you try to deviate from that label according to somebody else, that can be, that can be, um, that can be difficult. And just want to move on slightly, just um, a bit more about kind of the inner child, but moving on to perhaps further on into January when we're talking about self-love. And I know that's something that you talk about quite um, you share mm -hmm. on your um, Instagram profile and on social media, yeah. and um, mm -hmm. your posts are very. I'd, I've, I'd, I like reading your posts, and I think it's mm -hmm. it's it's helping the community in terms of un understanding and identifying and how important self love is. So, can you just explain what self love is? I think we've touched on it in different areas, and um, yeah, yeah. If you could just explain what it is, and maybe touch on also about setting boundaries and linking to 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 energy and where we're ex expending our energy. And again, this is stuff that you've touched on a bit previously. Yeah. So I I do believe that um, inner child child healing and self love are very much intertwined. 
um, like I said, as, as we're growing, we are taught um, conditional, unconditional love, right? So, um, and we are, like we were saying earlier, we are receiving these messages by society, by our family system, by school, by work. So all these things, and they're telling us how we need to be to compare ourselves that this is better than that, right? So um, all these messages and beliefs that we have about ourselves um, that bring us down are not true. So in self-love, we are holding space for learning and being curious of how to take care of ourselves, right? So what is something loving I can do for myself? Like even going back to those earlier questions, what does my body need? What does my heart need? What does my mind need? Um, and this is like an active practice. It's a, it is definitely a lifelong journey. I know people are like, oh, healing journey, like the, those labels, but it's the reality is that like, I am choosing to take care of me this morning. I am choosing um, I am loving by myself this morning by sipping my tea, my coffee really slowly. I am loving myself by saying no to this extra work responsibility or this social event. I am loving myself by slowing my day down. I am loving myself by connecting with others because I think we see such lovely things in social media about like self-care, self-love checklists, but we really need to focus on what we are actually needing. How can I nurture myself? And if you don't know, like try different things that might connect you. Like I know for me, like I said earlier, grounding is being in nature, really having an introspective moments. I don't often journal um, um, in, in this age, but I think it's a beautiful thing too. Um, just really spending time with yourself and connecting. I know for me, when I'm having a, a busier day, um, I really am mindful of my uh, my ambiance. So I do a lot of, of, of telehealth. Um, so all my sessions are, are, are still very much via uh, the computer, Zoom, all that good stuff. And I make sure that I pause between, that I have candles, that I have um, my essential oil diffuser. And someone else might be like, smells, ugh, that's not soothing. Someone else, it, it might be something more visual that's soothing. Um, so it's learning to connect and 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 soothing parts of you, whether that's again visually, whether that's physically, with certain textures, with movement, with yoga, um, learning how to spell, uh, spend quality time with yourself, like what would be re-energizing for me, um, and even self-love is boundaries. So maybe there's people in our lives that um, are an energy drain. Um, and not to speak poorly of anyone, there's just folks that um, have a tendency to uplift us and some folks in our lives that bring us down. So maybe your boundary is um, with time. With this person, I only see them every once in a while or with this person, it doesn't seem like it's helping my wellness. So um, I'm gonna have to set, say goodbye to this person um, and really think about your time. With folks, it's, following through with our boundaries. So maybe if someone uh, disrespects us having that conversation about like, I, I'm not comfortable with this, this doesn't fit with me. I, I'm not okay with this anymore. Does, is that person going to respect that boundary uh, or not? And if they're not, then maybe that person is not meant to be part of your wellness journey. So yeah, but boundaries are meant to help us with, with safety 
um, to protect our energy, um, our time. Um, so all, all, all those things, um, like our emotions. So there's people that, that add and there's people that take away. So really thinking about that too. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, that again, mm-hmm. yeah, all, all make, all makes, all makes sense. And, um, yeah, it's, it's it, the boundaries are, as you quite rightly say, important and they can, when you do set the boundaries, first set boundaries, it can be hard to adhere to as a I'm talking mm-hmm. from personal experience and also it's managing that relationship with the person that you set the boundaries with because that change mm-hmm. has now has now happened yeah. so um, that does come with its challenges but once you mm-hmm. work through those challenges you are again mm-hmm. talking from pe- personal experience on the other side you are in a much yeah. much better place um, mentally yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, just to kind of round up this conversation, and we we started we started talking about diabetes voice, and we moved on to the inner child, and we've just touched on self love. Mm-hmm. So, moving mm-hmm. back to diabetes, how mm-hmm. could is it how how could somebody find joy with diabetes so i know you mentioned earlier about thriving so just expanding a bit how how is it possible to find joy with diabetes i think you've given us some examples or already but yeah yeah i i think also of to start would be just to know how far you've come right and that diabetes is very much part of you but not all of who you are right so and then learning to connect with your body and understand your diabetes for you can allow you to do more of the things you want so um like even even we talked earlier about hiking so when um before i really understood um my my body better as far as like uh my insulin to carb ratio when doing long hikes um, some of the, those things aren't as possible, whereas now I have the ability to, to pause, to have a temp basil, um, and to allow me to enjoy more physical things. So I think that that, that like learning ourselves for us, not because your, your endo wants you to, or your parents want you to, it's because you, you know that your life is worth living, whatever condition that you have or whatever lived experience you have, your life is worth living. And yes, th- there is this there is this weight. And also this, I think for me was like, yeah, this this is some heavy stuff that I had to that I had to deal with and learn and learn how to walk this world through. And also I can appreciate life more fully. So I think that that's the stage that I'm, I'm at with my diabetes. And I think it, it is very much possible for everybody. Um, and your language may be different than mine or whoever is listening. Like, or maybe you're in a state where you feel like, gosh, like I can never imagine holding this duality of diabetes and my life and goodness. But but it definitely is, um, definitely is possible because, yes, there's parts of it that certainly suck. And there are parts of it that give you additional strength, right? And you can still you can still have yeah, um, the life you want for sure. 
or maybe we're just um, redoing that blueprint, right? So maybe you, you thought your life was going to be like blueprint A, but now it's very much blueprint B and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Totally yeah. Agree. Totally agree. Yeah. And there's other flows, yeah, right? Exactly. Not everyone's like, hey, diabetes this morning. Woohoo. Sometimes I'm like, oh, great. I've had it low for like, uh, like all night. And now I have like, so much work to do today. How am I going to focus? So um, there's more coffee for me on yeah, that day. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's a key thing as well, is just allowing those ebbs and flows to exist with, um, exist with particularly when living with diabetes and not try. And it's much easier said than done. And again, I'm talking from experience, try not, Try not to get too. I used to get too emotionally involved with the ebbs and the flows, and now it's understanding that the ebbs and the flows are part and parcel, for one of for one yeah. of a bit part and parcel of the game of diabetes. Mm-hmm. The, they they're just going to be there, um, and yeah. you have to accept them and and um mm-hmm. and live with them where you are you are now in terms of living with type one for for 34 mm-hmm. years and the work that you're mm-hmm. doing with everything you know now what advice would you give to someone listening who has who is living with living with diabetes yeah i would definitely say um that your life is worth living even if it doesn't look like what you thought it would um i would definitely say to feel your feelings definitely feel your feelings to um that it's okay to be angry to to have rage to be sad um to be confused um i would say that that you're going to be more than okay even if you don't believe it in this moment, because life is definitely hard um, and it is also good, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I would I would definitely say that because I think we can feel like there's this huge weight and then there's also so many things that we're going to learn about ourselves. I know that I learned so much about my resilience, my strength, my comfortability with diabetes. I think when I started out, I was like, oh, I can't hide that. Or, but I got to this point where I was like, you know what? I'm going to take my needle out insulin dosage in the middle of the restaurant. And now, or maybe I was more cautious about hiding my CGM and my pump. Now it's like actively on my arm or my thighs. And I'm like, and I use that as a way to normalize like medical devices and um I, I let people ask questions. I don't have a problem with that. So if you're you're in the state of like I'm hiding um, this part of me, that's okay. That that's also that also will shift when um, you find your very specific um, normal and way of living with diabetes. Yeah, and and uh, thank you, Mira. And if people want to connect with you online, where can they find you? Um, Mary Mosier therapy. That's where, um, I'm active in. I don't feel like I have the bandwidth to be on all the social medias. Um, but definitely Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. 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 That's more 
where I'm on usually. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I will include a link to your Instagram profile in, in the show notes. And I do recommend if you're listening to, to follow, follow Mary, uh, Mary, I just want to say thank you for uh, this conversation today. It's been, it's been a, it's, it's been a really good, really good one in terms of just talking about something that uh, I I have a particular personal interest in, but because I think it goes why it, it 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 impacts everyone, regardless of if you're living with diabetes, diabetes or not, and I think that we can always be understanding and learning more about our, who we are as who we are as uh, individuals and um i think this is an important topic for for us to talk about and you you've spoken well you've spoken really well about it and just giving us a clear idea of what inner child healing is mm-hmm. and how it interacts and the different intersections in, in our lives as well and thank you for thank you for the conversation I really appreciate it absolutely thank you for having me it's okay thank you